0: to another episode of the Battling Pickle Podcast. Today, I'm going to try to combine two topics that were the most requested in the poll that I did, uh, and we'll see how we can do it. I think actually they'll fit together quite nicely, because what you guys want to hear about in my psychology of learning class are the major projects that were submitted in June to give you some ideas and motivation. We can combine those. Let's get started. So it was not very surprising to me that the major project submitted was one of the things that people like to hear about. This is quite honestly, one of the biggest questions I get in this class is what can I do for my major project? Is this a good idea for my major project? Is this a bad idea? And I ask that you submit the abstracts which are coming up very soon in class. In fact, they're due I believe Um, just in the next couple of days from when this podcast is going live. And the reason I ask you to do those abstracts is so that I can get a little bit of an idea of what you're planning on doing. Now, the secret is there's no right or wrong way to do the major project. Uh, The abstract is due uh, this semester in 2022 on July 20th, and then the project is due itself a week and a half later or a week and a day later, so you've got some time to get that together. But there is no right or wrong way. There are a lot of ways that can be exceptional. And then those very same ways uh, can also be lackluster, for lack of a better term. Uh, I don't think I've ever had anything turned in that was bad. I've had things turned in that were confusing, but not downright awful. And motivation was the second highest topic that we had. And so I'll take kind of a side tangent onto motivation because I think it directly applies to when you're thinking about your major project. So when you think about what motivates people, motivation is always putting someone out of a state of equilibrium. Equilibrium is this state that we're always trying to catch where our arousal levels are just baseline arousal. We're not depressed, we're not, you know, lethargic, we're also not manic, we're also not, you know, hyped up. And so our body and our mind is constantly trying to seek for that level of equilibrium. And in a classroom, that level of equilibrium can be something we actually strive for quite a bit. When we try to teach routine, we try to teach structure, we try to have expectations clearly aligned so that people aren't put in a situation where they feel ill at ease. But on the flip side, motivation is hard to do at that point because what are you motivated to do? You're already comfortable in a sense. So we can do it one of two ways. We can either put people ill at ease uh, in a negative sense, where they feel like they need to do something or else something very bad will happen to them. That is, unfortunately, a lot of the ways that we might get action in real life. You know, if I don't pay my taxes, I have this dread feeling that someone is going to come and take my possessions, and uh, so I pay my taxes. Uh, That is a good example of something that, has a very clear penalty to it that will motivate me to spend hours each year doing something I deeply don't enjoy. But on the flip side of that, we can use ways of motivating that put people in a yearning mode or a mode where they want to do something for some sort of intrinsic motivator this is the child in the classroom that is enthralled with the idea of learning about something that they find personally interesting they want to know more about it it draws them into the assignment the problem is how do you make something that might not be fundamentally appealing to someone appealing to them in that way to draw them in i think some of the ways that we've already seen and talked about and i've talked about on previous episodes as well as Uh, in the discussion forum is application. Uh, Very low hanging fruit is just making it so that the student understands why what they're doing is important to the rest of their life, the rest of their year, the rest of their day, whatever it might be. Doesn't necessarily have to be something really spectacular, just has to be something where they can see there's a connection here. I often think about my curriculums in various classes and how I see connections that my students do not see. I see how the material that we study in week two connects to the material in week 16. Most students are not going to see that coming in. That's why they're taking the class because they don't have that ability to see those connections. But how do I illuminate those connections? And sometimes it's just repetition, you know, just saying, look, we're talking about this today because tomorrow we're gonna talk about something else that has something directly related to it. Or instead of repetition, it's clever ways of integrating the material, talking about things across discipline lines. So I remember uh, in my own educational history in seventh grade doing a project that was remodeling of a house. And it was a collaboration between the math uh, teacher and uh, social studies, uh, and a few other departments talking about, you know, all these things you would have to put together science, and you know, what, you know, how do you measure for this? How do you lay out for this and that? So sometimes that's the way we make those connections is we go across discipline lines. Sometimes we go across motivation, uh, structures, You know, I try to intrinsically motivate you 95% of the way, but I'll also give you an extrinsic motivator. Uh, Stickers are a weird extrinsic motivator that people find oddly rewarding. I was in a group of chemistry professors a number of years ago at a small private liberal arts college, and they had had a very good pre-med program at that college. But the irony was that three out of the four chemistry professors were trying to convince the fourth to put stickers on quizzes that were, you know, 90% or above. And the fourth said, well, this is stupid. I've got students here who are 20, 22 years old. I am not going to give them stickers. It's pointless. And the other three simply said, well, you do what you want, but our average quiz grade is going up. And so since our average quiz grade is going up, uh, we're not going to look a gift horse in the mouth in a sense. We're going to we're going to give stickers. So that is uh, a bit about motivation. And motivation is tough. It's not something that any teacher, every teacher will tell you. It's not something that you find works universally. You can have the same student motivated by different things on different days. You can have groups of students that one day something is a huge motivator, another day it is absolutely not motivating anymore at all. So honestly, it is a process that you're going to want to tweak and continually evaluate and talk with your students. This is something I I find kind of very strange. We don't ask our students questions like, what do you find motivating? I asked the class, what do you want to hear about in this podcast? Because you're going to be more motivated to want to listen to it if you know that you helped pick the topic or that it's a topic that is applicable. When I looked at the results for this, uh, there were topics that I gave out of the four that I don't think anyone chose. Tells me, you know that topic. And if I were to spend a whole 10, 15 minutes on it, you would probably not be all that interested in listening. Because it's not that motivating. So let's return to the major project and what I saw last month and last year that were very good examples of things that you could do. So honestly, my goal for you guys in the major topic or major project is that I want something that you can use beyond this class, something that is beneficial to your career something that is applicable to your career so i'm not looking for i mean if you want to do a literature review on a topic so say motivation is a topic you find really interesting and you want to write up a 20-page literature review on all the essential pieces of information about motivation i will not stop you from doing that that is a traditional major project in a class like this a good literature review you learn a lot from those things i remember writing those up in grad school not a bad idea definitely though it's not always the most applicable to career unless you're teaching motivation quite a bit it's also very hard to use beyond this class you know when was the last time someone said to you hey what do you know about blank and you sent them a 20 page literature review they're gonna look at you and go well that's great but i don't have time to read 20 pages of uh you know academic text on this So what I saw students doing in the past that's worked very well is turning that 20 page literature review into a professional development of some sort uh, development activity. So I've seen narrated PowerPoints. I do ask if you do a narrated PowerPoint or a narrated video that you keep it under 15 minutes, 10 minutes is about the optimal length there. Otherwise, I will be spending many, many hours listening to those. uh, And it's it's honestly, the ones that are longer tend to not do as well at getting their point across because people tend to ramble. That's why these podcasts are in the 10 to 15 minute range, because I don't want you going, oh, he's just rambling again, on and on again. So think about things you can use and reuse. Maybe something that in the fall, when you go back to school, go back to work, and your principal says, Hey, you know, we have this activity time this week, Uh, I'd like to to talk about something, you can go, Hey, I did this, you know, PowerPoint, and I think it would be really useful to share, you can share it with your other team teachers or whoever you want to share it with uh, getting it across. So kill two birds with one stone, in a sense, get something that you can get more out of. The only major problem I see with professional developments that you see beyond just the literature view is that sometimes the literature is hard to find you know if you're doing a powerpoint and you want to reference literature which you absolutely should be doing you know a quick parenthetical citation at the bottom of the a slide and then a full reference slide at the end is a good way to do it so that people can find more information. You absolutely want to have that parenthetical because otherwise people don't know where you got a particular piece. I've seen students turn in a 20 slide PowerPoint deck And then at the end, three slides of references. And I have no idea where any of those references showed up in the 20 slides because they didn't put a parenthetical citation in. So I don't know if that first reference was on slide one, if it was on slide 20, if it was somewhere in between, or all of the slides used some of it. So definitely make sure that you're connecting those up so that people can find the literature. Make sure you're using good literature. I stress this over and over again peer-reviewed journal articles. That is what I want to see the majority of your references using. I don't want to see white papers, and I don't want to see blogs, and I definitely don't want to see things that are, you know, some th- someone's opinion on the internet. As a graduate student, especially, your opinion is valid because it is based in fact. It is not based in you're, you know, even as much as professors would like you to think that we have these deep philosophical ideas and that's how we come up with stuff. No, we're we're rooting our stuff in what we see in the literature. So definitely make sure you're using good literature, peer-reviewed journal articles. I'm always happy to look at a source if a student says, "Hey, is this a good source? Is this a bad source? I'm not quite sure." I'm happy to take a look at it and give you my thoughts on it. And if it's not that great, I'm happy to help you find something better. So, definitely be thinking about sources. The things to avoid, uh, I'll wrap this up by sort of talking about what are the, the pitfalls. Well, uh, lack of content. You know, I've seen people say, here's my major project, it is a brochure. Not a bad idea, but a six panel brochure with no accompanying references and like two or three statements on each panel. It's a little hard for me to to say that that's a major project. Now, what I've seen people do, which works out really well, is they've got the six-panel brochure, and then they've got a two-page write-up about how they chose the sources, why they highlighted certain things, why they presented things in certain ways. They basically are walking me through their thinking when they put that brochure together. That uh, kind of fills in the gaps and tells me that you gave it some serious thought. Other things that are problematic, just narrated videos that don't, they're just streams of consciousness. I've seen that a couple of times where someone goes, ah, I got to get this major project done. I'm just going to turn on my camera and start talking. That is difficult. It doesn't have a structure. You can't see a structure to it. Uh, Even this podcast episode where it seemingly is a conversation, there was a structure, you know, I had in my mind, okay, we're going to start off talking about this, we're going to talk about motivation, then we're going to tie it into good and bad examples of projects, et cetera, et cetera, going to hit these high points, going to hit these other things. So you definitely want to make sure that you have some sort of structure. You're not just winging it on the fly and talking at me. Uh, And, you know, your audience is also an important thing. Think about who your audience is. If it's me, that's fine. so make sure that you are accurate in how you're presenting to an audience. If your audience are other teachers, that's fine too. But think about who your audience is and how they're going to receive information. If the audience is teachers that are probably busy after a long day, and this is you know another meeting that they have to listen to, you might be a little bit more excited, a little bit more fun, a little bit more informal versus if it's a you know, group of professors, you're probably gonna be a little bit more formal with those things. Although uh, I've seen professors do plenty of informal things and downright foolish things in the past. So hopefully this gave you some ideas. Um, when you write up your abstract next week or you can do it early, You know, let me know. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. I have you know, a paragraph or two, just letting me know what you're thinking of doing, what the end of project's gonna be, product's gonna be. I can give you some feedback on that. And really be thinking about how to make it useful to you, useful to your career. And you know what? Sometimes the most motivating thing is having an unrestricted or almost unrestricted guideline on things. So if you're frustrated going, why is there so many options? Why didn't he just tell us to do the literature review or something like that? Which, like I said, perfectly valid option if you want to do it. Uh, It's because I want you to be motivated to do something that you can use and that you're proud of this has been another episode of the battling pickle podcast if you'd like to interact with the podcast just head on over to anchor.fm battling pickle you can ask a question there i've been dr john westfall i used to say my name all the time in these things now i don't i guess i assume you people know me my name is on the recording but whatever uh and i am happy to have had you listen today hope you have a great day and a great week